Welcome to the Resolved Podcast, where you can find truth through God's Word that will inspire and strengthen you as you determine to lead a life worthy of your calling. Today, we are talking about the wilderness, how God uses the wilderness, and how we get out of it. You know those WWJD bracelets you used to see, what would Jesus do? Those must still be around. I don't see them as much as I used to, but it's always a good thing to ask ourselves. And when we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do concerning the wilderness, we get our answer by reading what he did in the wilderness. Jesus is our greatest example. And as followers of Jesus today, we get to open the Bible, read the life of Jesus, and learn from him. This may seem obvious to you, or maybe you never realized it before, but Jesus did not begin his ministry until he first overcame Satan in the wilderness. This is important because to carry out God's purpose, one must learn how to overcome the devil. Let's jump into the scene of Jesus in the wilderness. In Luke chapter 4, scripture says that Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days, and in those days he ate nothing. So what does the enemy come and tempt him with? Food, of course. Satan always attacks where we're weak. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Well, that didn't work. So the devil then brought him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then Satan brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the highest point of the temple, and tried to use God's word against him. That's how deceptive Satan is. He said, if you are the son of God, jump off, for it is written, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold up their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus confidently responded, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. This is another lesson for another time, but three times here, we see Jesus take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Every time the devil tempted him, he fought back with God's truth in scripture because every time the enemy comes at us, it will be with a lie. The Bible says he is the father of lies. It's so important to know the word because we need it to fight. I'm not going to elaborate on that right now. You can read it in my new book, Arise and Shine, that just came out. So Jesus resists Satan again with the word of God. At this point, Satan leaves him. Verse 13 says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan is not going to waste his time in an ineffective battle. If we want him to leave us alone for a while, we must resist him and then to the best of our ability, not give him an opportune time to attack. If we have a weakness to alcohol, let's not go to the bar. If we struggle with pornography, let's not watch movies with people in the bedroom. Actually, no one should watch those, but I'm not going there right now. Those seem like obvious solutions, but let me share a personal example. 
I battle sudden onsets of anxiety that, if I'm not careful, can be released through my mouth. Let me give you a specific example. If I'm getting overwhelmed teaching my first grader and I feel anxiety rising, guess what? It's break time. I am not going to give Satan an opportune moment in my weakness. I know if I push it to get that last worksheet done, a sinful rage of frustration is going to be put on display with a six-year-old eyewitness. And if I really stop and think about it, this anxiety that tries to wreak havoc in my life really comes from the desire for control and perfection, which actually is rooted in fear and pride. It sounds as something like this. My child will read as well as every other six-year-old because if he doesn't, that means I failed. He will have this workbook done by June 15th because if he doesn't, that means I failed. And he will learn to sit still and pay attention to every word I have to say because his standard should also be perfect. Maybe a bit exaggerated, but you get the idea. The truth is, a six-year-old boy would rather be playing than practicing his penmanship or telling me what the sound CH makes. And so, instead of giving the enemy an opportune time, we take a break. And I remind myself, loud enough for Satan to hear, that all my children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. That's in Isaiah 54. And I pray that the Lord will bless his mind to retain what I am teaching him and ask for the Lord's grace to do this homeschooling thing that he called me to. I probably elaborated on that more than I needed to, but all of that to say, we must resist the enemy and not set ourselves up for an attack. David Guzik, in his commentary in the Blue Letter Bible, he said, many are so attacked because they resist so little. Jesus is our example. If we are ever going to make it out of the wilderness, we must overcome the enemy by not only learning how to resist him, but then actually doing it. Some of us know how to warfare, but we're just tired of the fight. Jesus gave us authority and taught us how to fight, but we need to show up, even if we don't feel like it. I have a recent podcast titled Stand Your Ground that elaborates on this. I'm not going to go there. The point I want to make is that we are to be imitators of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11. Many of us have a desire to be used by God to build his kingdom, but we are still wandering around the desert, circling around the same mountain over and over and over again. Where in our lives is God trying to get our attention? Is there an idol we built right in the middle of our wilderness that he's asking us to tear down? Is that idol a relationship, a business, some kind of worldly success, football? It may not even be something we have to get rid of, but maybe it's just taking priority in our heart And God just wants to know if we're willing to lay it down. We must be able to recognize Satan's strategies that keep us from advancing. The Israelites wander around their wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was only in the wilderness for 40 days. Let's do what he did. We're supposed to follow his example. He had faith in the Father and he fought with truth. The wilderness is preparation. It's to teach and to train us. It is the boot camp that prepares us for the mission. A boot camp is short term, to get strong in a short amount of time. That's what Jesus did. Do you know what the Israelites did? Because they had no faith and no will to fight, they died in the wilderness. They never made it out. There were only two who made it into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. 
the only two with faith and the willingness to fight. And the children, the, the children got into. There's another thing that keeps many people in the wilderness. It's not their unwillingness to fight or lack of faith, but it's not knowing the need for either one. Have you seen the movie God's Not Dead? In that movie, there's an old woman with dementia that loves the Lord. Her son, on the other hand, is a very successful man who believes he has all the riches he needs. When told by his sister that he should go visit their mother because she wasn't doing well, he went, and as he sat looking at her, he spoke to her as if she didn't hear anything that he was saying. He said, I quote, You prayed and believed your whole life, never done anything wrong, and here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. My life is perfect. Explain that to me. Unquote. Then she responded, I quote, Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble because he doesn't want them turning to God. Your sin is like a jail cell, except it's comfy and there doesn't seem to be any need to leave. The door is wide open until one day time runs out. The cell door slams shut and suddenly it's too late. Unquote. The wilderness is like a boot camp, but if we don't even know there's a battle for our soul, we're not going to be showing up for training. We're supposed to find the savior of our soul in the wilderness. If you read Hosea chapter two, you will see how God used the wilderness to bring Israel back to himself. Scripture compares God's people who had turned away from him to an adulterous wife, but he wins her back in the wilderness. In verse 14, it says that God will allure her, Israel, God's people he's talking about. Charles Spurgeon said this about that word allure. I quote, this is a singular kind of power. I will allure her, not I will drive her, not even I will draw her or I will drag her. It is a very remarkable word, and it teaches us that the allurement of love surpasses in power all other forces. That is how the devil ruins us. He tempts us with honeyed words, sweet utterances, with the baits of pleasure and the like. And the Lord in mercy determines that, in all truthfulness, he will outbid the devil, and he will win us to himself by fascinations, enticements, and allurements, which shall be stronger than any force of resistance we may offer. This is a wonderfully precious word. I will allure her. Unquote. God will beckon the lost to himself, but ultimately, he will not make the decision for us to follow him. The son who pitied his mother had faith in himself and his own success. He saw no need for a savior, and there was certainly no need to battle Satan. Satan didn't give him any trouble. He was completely unaware of the battle for his soul. The Bible says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Is it wrong to be wealthy? Of course not. The Lord can bless me with all the money he wants. Pastor Bill Johnson said that someone asked him once, How much money is too much money? He answered and said, Any amount that replaces trust. Anytime we put our trust in money instead of God, we have a problem. The Bible tells us that we cannot serve both God and money. That's in Matthew 6, 24. But that is not spoken to just the wealthy. We can serve money without having any. 
If we live in fear of lack and worry constantly and put our hope in the next credit card approval, job offer, or whatever, and strive day and night looking for money, we are not putting our trust in God. We are actually serving money. Money is powerful and it can be used for good and evil. I'm not preaching a message to you on tithing, but I want to make it clear that God does not need our money. God will use what we give for good and multiply for his kingdom to reach the lost and bless his children, yes, but when we give our tithe or offering or sow a seed, we are declaring to God that we trust him more than our finances and that we serve him and love him first and foremost. It's a good way to keep our heart in check and protect us from creating an idol in our life. Everything God asks of us is for our good. That was a bonus tip. I'm not elaborating on that right now. The point I want to make is that we cannot become complacent in the wilderness. We need Jesus and we need to learn to overcome our enemy. I want to read to you the the definition of complacency. The first part says, I quote, self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. When it comes to safety, complacency can be dangerous. Unquote. And here's what it says on this in the second part. I quote, an instance of usually unaware or uninformed self-satisfaction. Unquote. The son in that movie had no idea of the danger that he was in. He was self-satisfied with his own kingdom. His wilderness felt quite comfortable, actually. If we deny our need for a savior, Satan has no problem making us comfortable in the wilderness. So comfortable, we don't even realize there is a wilderness. Picture a beautiful glamper right there in the middle of the desert, sitting next to a beautiful lake. It's glorious with everything you could ever need. It's got the pretty lights, a fence bordering its property, comfortable lounging chases, lakeside, right? But one day that water will dry up. We need living water. We need Jesus. We can never truly be satisfied if it's through ourself. We weren't created that way. We were created to have a relationship with our creator. Complacency creates a false peace that keeps us from ever being a threat to our enemy. That's why the wealthy son felt satisfied. He felt like he had everything, but in fact, he had nothing of eternal value. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, I quote, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Unquote. But listen, complacency is not just among the wealthy. Complacency is any time we become self-satisfied and settle for less than God's plan for our life knowingly or unknowingly. Too many people walk around defeated, having given up on the fight, or they've just accepted things they shouldn't, declaring things like, well, this is just my cross to bear. No, no, that is incorrect. This false belief comes from a misinterpretation of Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, when Jesus said, I quote, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Unquote. In this scripture, Jesus is talking about what it takes to be a true disciple. Those who choose to follow Jesus must stop living for themselves and follow God's purpose instead. His ways are always better than ours anyway. But this is the way that Jesus lived in obedience to the Father. He obeyed the Father fully and completely. To Jesus, the cross symbolized complete obedience to God, and it should be the same for us. Our cross to bear is not a disease or some kind of ailment. It's not financial ruin. It's not family crisis. No, it is to follow God fully and completely, giving up our life for his purposes. And quick side note, God did not give Paul the thorn in the flesh. It was given to him by a messenger from Satan. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And in James 1, 16 and 17, it says, I quote, So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And in James 1, 13, this is the message version. It says, God does not put evil in our way. John Bevere says, I quote, We're deceived if we think something other than good or perfect comes from God. A messenger of Satan is in no way good and certainly not perfect. Unquote. When we use human reasoning to bring a why to something we don't understand, often the result is accepting something we shouldn't. It creates a false peace complacency. And somehow we feel better about holding God's reputation in our hands by giving reason to why he hasn't come through. If we believe God gave us a disease, we settle in with it and give it permission to stay. This kind of thinking or belief can keep us in the wilderness because we just accept it, assuming God gave it to us. And so we see no need to overcome the enemy because we actually believe it came from God. This is a lie from the father of lies, our enemy, Satan. I encourage you to ask God if there is anything you have accepted that you shouldn't. Ask him if there is a place in your life that you have become complacent. If you remember, Satan tried to bribe Jesus. He brought him to that high mountaintop and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and offered them to him. He said, I quote, all this authority I will give you. And their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, worship before me, and all will be yours. Have we accepted a lesser kingdom, our own kingdom, one that gives us glory and authority? We've got the title, an influential reputation, men's applause, or even fame. Satan said that all Jesus had to do to receive the kingdoms of the world was to worship him. The Greek word used there for worship actually means the vow of obedience to a Lord, whoever that Lord may be. Satan wanted Jesus to obey him and be his Lord. Of course, this offer was a waste of Satan's time, but there is a lesson here. God's word is alive and scripture tells us in Romans 15, 4, that scripture was written long ago to teach us. The lesson here is don't make deals with Satan. That might sound like unnecessary advice, but deception is a scary thing. We must be willing to first admit that we could be deceived 
and ask God to show us if we are. We can be deceived into thinking we are actually serving God when that is not the case. If we are living for our own kingdoms and serving ourselves, Jesus is not our Lord. If Satan can keep us busy building and serving our own kingdoms, he will succeed in keeping us from building God's. I challenge you to ask God to show you if there is any place in your life that you are being deceived. We pray this prayer often in our home, thanks to a good friend who challenged us in the same way that I am challenging you. Do not be deceived into staying in the wilderness any longer than you need to. Do not set up camp in the wilderness. Do not pitch a tent or hang out lakeside in the glamper. We are not meant to stay in the wilderness. We are not. I'm going to end with this. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, maybe you've never invited the Lord into your life, or maybe you have, but you've walked away and you want to take care of that. You can do that right now. You simply pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for your shed blood that washes me clean and makes me whole. I ask you to be the leader of my life and to teach me your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to stay close to the Lord by praying. That just means talking to the Lord and read your Bible. Sometimes it will make sense and sometimes it won't. That's okay. Ask God for understanding. Just be obedient to seek him. He will not fail you. Thank you for listening. I pray that whatever the Lord spoke to you, that it is sealed in your heart. If you want to learn more about living in the fullness of God's purpose for you, I encourage you to get my new book, Arise and Shine. You can get your signed copy through my website at jamienthompson.com. And if you are looking for someone to share an encouraging message to your church or women's group or at an event or conference and you would like to invite me, you can do so through my website by clicking on Speaking Requests. Until next time, friend, peace and blessings to you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please rate and subscribe. I'd also love to get your feedback and hear from you. You can share this message through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and my website at jamienthompson.com. Until next time.